You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning. Lovely to see you. So we're in part two looking at revival. And for those of you um, who are in the room today who are just still exploring faith or new to faith, we're absolutely thrilled that you're here today. And when we talk about the word revival, we're, we're essentially talking about uh, God moving in a greater way, moving in our lives, moving in our, our churches, our culture, our communities, uh, in our children's lives, our marriages, our, our, our families, um, amongst our neighbors. We, we really want to see God be God and do a powerful work in our time and in our culture. Uh, I love this quote, revival is a process that restores the church to her normative state as the agent of Christ on earth. Initiated by God in response to prayerful preparation and is marked by an extraordinary awareness of God in the community at large, particularly amongst the marginalized. I don't think there can be a greater compliment to a church that, uh, where people say God is here. We want to be known for being a friendly church, a welcoming church, a loving church, a church that eats together, a church that has great coffee, all that stuff. But above all those things, we're after the awareness to people that God is in this place. And when God is manifestly among us, then change happens. Lives are transformed. People are influenced in a significant way. And just a, a recap of last week, for those of you who weren't here, um, we talked about what is really important. is isn't so much the end result, but the process. We're not looking to put God in a box or tell God what he must do among us. But essentially what we want to do is have a, a, a posture and uh, a preparation in our hearts and lives that make space, create room for God to move uh, among us. And um, again, I, lo- I love this quote because I think this really sums, sums this idea up, that if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we, would, what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. And so we want to lean in and prepare our hearts to know that, God, are you, are you among us and doing stuff? And if you weren't, then there'd be no point in carrying on. And it's dangerously possible for a church to go through its routines and practices and programs and do it all in the absence of the Spirit of God. And um, ultimately, what we're after is God himself. We just want him. I don't know about you, but just as we sang that final song in worship today, just... I love you, Lord. It's just that you come to a, a, the cry of your heart where that's, that's all I want. I just want him. So focus and attention in your heart and in your mind, life, and just say, I just, above all things, above all desires and longings and good things even in our lives, we just want him. 
And so we want to give God a job in the church. We don't want to do his job for him. We want him to move among us. And friends, revival isn't what God did 100 years ago or even 50 years ago or five years ago. It's about, God, what are you doing in our time and in our day? That's what we're after. And so last week we looked at four postures in preparation. We talked about, hey, come on, guys, we need to dream again. Let's start dreaming again. Otherwise, with the turbulence of the last few years of COVID, is that we resort to nostalgia, we resort to the past, we resort to logic. And this is what much of the church is sadly doing in crisis, is that we look to managing things. Can we just manage the church? Can we just keep the church open? Actually, that is just missing, really, the the heart of God and what we read about in the Bible and how God moves with uh, kingdom advancement. And so we said, look, there's, there's three postures we've got to focus on. We're going to focus on the now. We're going to focus forward. We've got to focus down. And today I was going to do three more, but actually I've just decided we're going to do one because what I want to share today I think is the most important and crucial posture that we need to have. And uh, we're going to be doing the other two um, over the coming weeks um, that have been planned through various speakers and talks, which is to focus up and to focus out. So today I want to talk about this, focusing your hunger. Focusing your hunger. Now, when we look at revival, um, though we don't want to copy, as I've said, the past, I think it's really helpful to look at the past. I kind of see it like you're in a car, and before you set off, you look in your rearview mirror to see what's coming. And it's helpful to look around, look in the mirror, look around, see what is coming before you set off. And as we set off in this direction, I think it's helpful for us to look at revivals in the past to help us. And um, interestingly, we, uh, if you've read about revivals over the years and witnessed revival over many movements and over many denominations across the board, there's been such a variety so for Calvinists, they will always emphasize in revival that life was just life until God stepped in sovereignly. There's nothing we could have prepared for him to do that. God just stepped in and moved. For uh, the Arminians among us, it's more of a much, much more of a personal responsibility in terms of preparation for revival. For the traditional church, they will look to, hey, we kept things in our traditions, sacred, and God is attracted to that because it's a focus on things which are precious to God and keep the awe of God. And then Pentecostals will believe that they have seen revival because they made room for a move of the Holy Spirit. There's an emphasis on what you call pneumatology, the theology of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, the power. But is there an underlying principle beneath all those other things? Is there something that was going on that you see in all the revivals which is key? And I believe it's this, that God seems to come where he is wanted. God seems to come where he is wanted. And just as an example, I want to talk about the Hebridean revival. Who here has heard of the Hebridean revival in 1949 to 1952? And now, if you were God, I was God, I'm glad we're not. 
and you were going to create an epicenter for revival, you would not choose the Outer Hebrides. Maybe Glasgow, maybe Edinburgh. But to choose the most remote, difficult place to get to, an area of Scotland. And that's what happened here, that God seemed to bypass thousands of churches that probably had more things going on for them, things, um, better programs, more numbers, more significant cities and towns, and God seemed to bypass them all to go to this remote place. It's like the worst place to have a revival. Following the trauma of World War II, spiritual life was at its lowest ebb in the Scottish Hebrides. There's two women aged 84 and 82 called Peggy and Christine Smith and they prayed constantly for revival in their cottage on the Isle of Lewis, the largest of the Hebridean uh, islands. And so they've been praying for many years for revival. And then they asked their church pastor um, to call the church leaders to pray. And so for three nights a week, and this is why it's so important when we gather on a Monday night. For those of you who gathered with us on Monday night last week, it was so beautiful. After we've done an hour and a half of praying, I said, like, I'm just ready to begin. And... um, Three nights a week, the leaders pray together for months. One night, having begun to pray at 10 p.m. at night, a young deacon from the free church read Psalm 24 and challenged everyone to be clean before God. And as they waited on God, his awesome presence swept over them in the barn at 4 a.m. They'd been waiting and tarrying for six hours. And then the pastor invited a guy called Duncan Campbell to come and lead the meetings. And I I believe he was coming from Ireland and providentially God just uh, amazingly orchestrated for him to be there and um, changed his plans and his current commitments. And um, he was invited to join this all-night prayer meeting. It was about 30 people gathered. Uh, And Campbell described it as this. God was beginning to move. The heavens were opening. We were there on our faces before God. Three o'clock in the morning came and God swept in. About a dozen men and women lay prostrate on the floor, speechless. Something had happened. We knew that the forces of darkness were going to be driven back and men were going to be delivered. And we left the cottage at 3 a.m. to discover men and women seeking God. I walked along a country road and found three men on their faces crying to God for mercy. And there was a light in every home. No one seemed to think of sleep. I feared this might happen, sorry. Oh gosh, Lord help me. Can we just pray for a moment?
Lord, we ask that you do it again. Lord, we're hungry, we're thirsty for you. Lord, we've tried things in our own strength. I was so sorry. Lord, you burn up self-sufficiency in our hearts. Lord, bring, bring a move, Lord, that brings you back at the center. Oh, we're so sorry you've been at the margins of our, of our lives and our marriages, our children, our churches, our workplaces. Oh, Jesus. Last weekend, I had a, another dream. I was saying at the prayer meeting, I'm, I'm, having, I'm obviously having too much cheese tonight. I saw a tidal wave of, it's like a tsunami, and it, it was just, just awesome. And it, it spoke really of the awe of God. You know, we talk about the fear of God, and I think that whole thing's been so poorly taught over years, you know. We're supposed to be scared of God. We're not. The fear of God is about bringing an awareness and an awe of God, that you see God, and when you see God, everything else changes. We see things appropriately, we see appropriately our lives and people around us and the things that we hold on to, and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, so it's, it teaches us to live better. And I, but I, I saw the almighty power and presence and the, the fear and the awe of God manifest like in, in the, in the physical, really, through this tsunami. And I was desperate to go down and uh, to see it and to surf it and just to be part of it, even though it was so huge. And uh, I, I, was, it was, it was, I was on a cliff, uh, cliff edge and there was a lift there. And as I went to go on, in the lift to go down, to go to the tsunami, I couldn't get in the lift because it said I had to pay a lot of money. It said something like you know, 33,000 pounds. I had to pay in order to get in the lift and go and witness this tsunami. I think that was significant last week. I was talking about the number three and we're in a new era, not just a new year. And uh, I was so frustrated. I was like, that's not fair, you know. I want to go and witness this tsunami. and. But I, I, I woke up with this simple thought, and it was this, that there's a cost. That's, it wasn't the amount, that's kind of irrelevant. There's a cost attached to witnessing these things. These things don't come for free. These things aren't cheap. These things are costly. And I believe the cost of hunger is a key to revival. I believe when we talk about the cost to see God move and to know that he is wanted and needed among us, I believe the cost is, is hunger. And 
I believe that gift of hunger is one of the things that God has given to his church in this season. For many of us, and still, not just the last few years, but for many of us, um, with COVID and many other things, it's been a frustrating season. It's been a painful season. It's, it's been full of grief and, and brokenness, full of turbulence, as I said last week. But out of that, God is inviting his church to see that as a gift to bring about a greater hunger for Jesus. He's shape, it's like he's shaping hunger in his people. He's carving it. He's forming it in the, in the, in the kind of the fiery trials of life. I don't know about you, but I've only ever truly grown in God in hard times. The good times are great, but I don't seem to develop too much as a, in terms of my character. So what the Holy Spirit wants to do, he wants to turn often discouragement and frustration into longing, into intercession, into fasting, into prayer. He's doing it among leaders right now. He's doing it among churches in our city. He's doing it in our communities and he's placing hunger in us and breaking up fallow ground through hunger. As the problem is in the, in the West, we, we tend to live in kind of relative comfort. And so what we need to do is, is actually learn to run into and embrace discomfort and hardship for the sake of being hungry. That is why so often the global church uh, in other countries that may be struggling for the basic needs of life see revivals because they've learned that their only source and their only supply is God. Unless they turn to God in prayer daily, they're not going to be able to sometimes live. And because we have everything as an option and that kind of sense of consumerism has entered into the life of the church so we can pick and choose and have options, sadly that is, we've lost a, a hunger. Like God, I really need you. I really need you. And so I believe God wants to embrace hardship and often pain and suffering and allow fire and crisis to form us because I believe these are gateways to renewal and revival and shaping and forming hunger. And I, Psalm 63, I think, is such a wonderful psalm of hunger. It's the language of hunger. Can you just turn there to Psalm 63, please? And I just want to look at this briefly. Now, this is a psalm of David. And it's such a beautiful psalm, you kind of think, oh, he's just sat there, like imagine he's in, he's in Costa Coffee with his journal and he's just poetically writing this. Far from it. He, he was in the wilderness being chased by his son. He, he was in trouble. And this is what comes out of his heart. This is real, this is raw. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I'm just going to read eight verses. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power 
and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You, God, are my God. In other words, he's run out of options. He has nowhere else to go. He needs to realize and have a, re a revelation that God, you are my God, and I know who my God is. He's unlike any other God. And earnestly, I don't just seek you intermittently, I don't just seek you now and again, but earnestly, I seek you. And I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I often tell the story because it just, it's just the best for me. It's a really good illustration. When Joni and I were dating, Joni lived in Cardiff. And so um, for a season, most weekends, we were both traveling to see each other from Hull to Cardiff, from Cardiff to Hull. Now, who's done the journey from Hull to Cardiff? It's not pleasant. It's five hours, and there's a lot of traffic, particularly through Birmingham. And I always say that during that season, those journeys felt like half an hour. And there was no issue with us traveling weekly to see each other and to do that journey because there was longing in our hearts. And longing and hunger brings focus. So there's no point in it trying to alter your behavior if your belief system is wrong. The longing for one another drove us to go the extra 200 miles, not the extra mile. And so when we were married and we actually had to go back down to Cardiff, it was just the longest journey ever. We said, how did we do this? This is so painful. It's because the longing wasn't there anymore. The longing was sat next to me, telling me to drive better. <laughs> Communication and directions are, Joni and I's two issues in marriage. But my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land. There is no water. You're driven to a place you're thirsty because there is no other option. There is need, there's hardship. You're like in a wilderness in your life. I've seen you, that's key. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've got a vision of something better. God, I've seen God. That's the vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah 6. I've, I've seen God and when you see God, God sees you and everything changes. Five seconds in his glory and presence completely and radically would transform our lives. Because I've seen you in the sanctuary, beholding God, a vision of God, the presence of God, that's the goal of the hunger. And I've beheld your power and your glory. I've tasted it, I've seen it, I've read about it. There's more because, now just look at this, your love is better than life. I want, what I want you to do this week is just Take that psalm, particularly that verse, and all you need to do is 
sit there, kneel there, stand there and pray because your love is better than life and just really think about that. Really, your love, Lord, is better than life itself, is better, is better than everything the world has to offer me. It's really better than the sweetest of relationships. It's really better than money. It's really better than luxury and comfort. It's really better than that TV program. It's really better than all these things. Wow. Your love is better than life. All that life has to offer. Your love Just think about that. And because of that, my lips will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live. So it's a forever thing. It's not just a seasonal thing. It's forever. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. It causes a response in our worship. Some of us are probably more excited at the football than Jesus on a Sunday. And we need, do you know what? I, I, I hear this from Journey Night. Whatever you need to do in church life in order to express your passion, you just need to do it. Because you've seen that his love is better than life. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. That's why we lift up our hands. If you're new to church, then what are you doing? All you need to do is to go to the football or go to see your favorite music band at a gig and you'll see people like that. And we believe that Jesus is worthy of our everything. So it affects even our bodily posture. He's so worthy. I'll be satisfied with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. It's a sign of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians. Just singing. On my bed. So at night, he's on your mind. He's not just on your mind for an hour and a half on a Sunday or a home group or a prayer meeting. He's on your mind at night. And you're clinging on to him. It's so easy, isn't it, to cling on to everything in life other than God himself. We can cling on to the past more than God. We can cling on to unforgiveness more than God. We can cling on to comfort and addictions and relationships to everything we cling on to other than the one person we should be clinging on to. I cling on to you, Jesus, because there is, it's the most amazing place, but it's also the safest place. I don't want to come out of this safe place this holy place. So God comes where he is wanted. And he is wanted by hungry people. And so our focus, church, I don't believe should be about getting filled by the Holy Spirit, though that is important, and though we talk about that, and we will always talk about it. And at the end today, we will say, who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit? But our focus, church, should be about staying hungry, not being filled because hungry people get filled but God can't fill people who are full of themselves therefore hunger and brokenness and emptiness and space is what leads God to fill us and so 
I want to encourage you with really one thing to press into if we want to create hunger. Because I know if you're like me, I'm thinking about these things. I'm like, Lord, I, 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 I need to get hungry. Or if I have a level of hunger, I need to get more hungry. How do I do that? How do I get hungry for God? Well, I think one of the keys is wholeheartedness. See, most Christians can live on the fence. They can live with a kind of angst or a sense of being double-minded. Why? Because the greatest enemy of hunger is not poison, it is apple pie. Particularly my mother's apple pie. A divided heart and divided loyalties leads to apathy. And apathy always leads to a spiritual atrophy where we waste away and our spiritual muscles begin to go. And that is because we have been nibbling at the table of the world. And when we nibble at the table of the world, what it does is it stops us having an appetite and a hunger for Jesus. Because we want God and we want the other stuff. And so my question to us all, and I include myself, is, is my love of worldly things creating an apathy for the things of God? Is my constant nibbling at the things of this world, the apple pie, the things which even good, good gifts that we've made God things? Hunger must resist apathy. And so the key in this is to be captured by something better. When you realize and you're captured by something better and the promise is better, we then lay those things down. That's the Beatitudes. The greatest sermon that was ever shared by Jesus where he said, the pure shall see God. We're not into sin management. People talk about, oh, I want to give up this, I want to break this addiction and that addiction because I'm a Christian and we're supposed to. I get that, but that is low level thinking. We resist those things because the pure shall see God. And we want to see God. I want to see the promises of God fulfilled in my life. I want to see the promise of God fulfilled in my generation. I want to see the promise of God fulfilled in my family's life and the generations to come after I've gone. I want to leave legacy. So I want to see God. I want to see God move in my life. Therefore, the pure shall see God. And because I want that, I resist that. I resist pornography because I want to see God. Not because I'm a Christian and it's the right thing to do. That's fine, but there's something better. I resist and say no. I focus because I want to see God. And when you've seen God, you won't want that stuff ever again. That's why consecration is so key because this cuts out and deletes and resists things which gnaw at your hunger for Jesus. I love this verse in Acts 13 too. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It says this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We are consecrated set apart 
by God's word and prayer in addition to fasting and worship. And so if we want to experience revival and reformation and renaissance, we need to build altars to God. And consecration is putting our idols on the altar. And I think Jeremiah put it really well. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So forsaking comes from a place of ceasing to drink from the water of life, which is God, and drinking now from other fountains, which is to nibble at the table of the world. Usually good things, as I said, not bad things, and that is the subtlety. Last uh, summer, we were blessed with a, uh, somebody gave us their cottage in, in, in France, and so we went there for our holiday, and um, I was bodyboarding. Now, I know that's a, a sight that you probably want to get out of your mind right now. <laughs> Trust me, my kids were very embarrassed. But uh, I, I was bodyboarding, and I was getting too excited. I've never bodyboarded before. I was getting too excited. My mouth was open. I was kept swallowing water. And I always find it fascinating. You look at the ocean, you think, that's water. That will quench my thirst. But of course, it's salt water. So when you have that and drink that, it's horrible, but it also makes you more thirsty. And that is often what we're doing is that we're looking to the salt waters of other things. And we're ceasing to drink from the water of life that will truly satisfy us. So we look to the salt water, and again, these aren't always bad things. Money, sex, control, comfort, busyness, people, food, works. And so all these things, and you can say your own thing in your mind, we drink that salt water and we don't drink from the source. In the DNA of the early church, when God was sovereignly moving, Acts 2, 42 to 47 describes the, the culture of the church and the things that they were pressing into that saw significant revival and growth. And it actually talks about, I would say, water fountains that the church needs to drink from in order to see growth. And it talks about a love for the Bible and community and prayer and generosity and praise and sharing our faith. And I believe that as we drink, not just personally, but corporately, and lean into those things and fountains, then actually our appetite and hunger begins to increase for God rather than the things of this world. I'd love to create time for us to just pray. But Jenny, can you just come up? I'd love Jenny to share a word. We were praying as a staff this week, and Jenny had a, um, she didn't know what I was talking about, and she shared this. I thought that is exactly what, what was on my heart for this week. So I'd, I'd love for you to share, share that, and then we'll pray. Yeah, so it was uh, last service. And the time to share, I don't know, for whatever reason, didn't seem like it was right. Um, so I just held on to the word and shared it with the staff. But I think it's definitely probably for today. Um, it was, it was really simple. It was just a person, and they were 
holding in one hand Jesus' hand, and in the other hand they had something in their hand. And in, in my picture was just a stone, um, and this stone could be anything, could be, like you said, good things. Um, and the sense was that the person wanted to hold both, um, but Jesus was asking them to, you can't have both, you can't sit on the fence, you've got to pick. And he wanted us to set whatever was in our hand down in order that he could give us more. You can't give someone. It's like when you're, when you're carrying all the groceries in and someone's, can you just hold this? Well, not, not really. You're going to have to put something down in order to pick something else up. And the something that God kind of named over that stone was comfort. And your comfort might look different to the next person sat next to you. But whatever it is... It was this challenge, it was this ask, will you set this down so that I can give you something so much better? Um, and then also there was a sense of asking God for, for a fire, an awakening, a cleansing fire, and, or asking God, send your revival, send your fire, send that again. And just this sense of some people have a, an innate fear of fire, obviously that's a natural thing, but... It went beyond that, and it was a fear of the devastation that causes um, into your life when, when fire comes. But, but it's a different kind of fire, really, that God wants to send. It's a refining fire, and just that sense that farmers, and if you, you know this, but farmers will actually intentionally set fire to their field and not use it for a season so that it can regrow and actually be better than it was before. It seems counterintuitive, really, but they actually intentionally set fire to the whole lot and just let it burn it away so that more better can come later. Um, yeah, and it was just this sense that God is asking us to not be afraid of what he's going to do in that revival and that fire, um, but just, yeah, to set that comfort down and see, see what he has in store because his plans are so much better than anything we could have thought of. Yeah, so why don't you lead us in prayer, Jenny? Why don't you stand? Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.